Afternoon, Montreal. You are listening to CKUT 90.3 FM. It's now time for Movement Museum. I'm Alison Burns and I'm here with my co hosts, Jen Doan and JD Papillon. Hello. Good afternoon. Hello, Good afternoon. guys. And uh, my My spiel, as per usual, is you can find us at movementmuseum.com. You can listen to past episodes. You can download our podcast off iTunes. You can follow us on Twitter, and you can like us on Facebook. Please do that. We'd love to hear from you. You can also send us an email at movement at ckut.ca. We'd love to hear what you would like to have covered, um, if you'd like to join us on the show here, or if you have an opposing idea to some of the opinions expressed, because we're always looking to... To, to start up a debate or a, a conversation. So send us an email if you'd like, movement at ckut.ca. So let's, uh, let's talk about what's going on this week on Movement Museum. We're going to do the first half hour we have a guest in, and the second half hour we're going to cover a little bit of um, dance news, which also kind of covers dance history and dance calendars. So we're getting a lot in this week. So... We're going to start off with our guest here, Alina Litvak. Hi. Hi. How are you? Good. Thank you. 
Alina is a professional Latin dancer, and she started a school here called Quartier Latin, um, which is a ballroom and Latin dance school back in 2007 uh, with her dance partner, Maxim. And we're having her on because we don't know much about Latin dance and what you do as a professional Latin dancer. So we wanted to hear about competitions and about studios and about teaching and about wedding preparation and all that good stuff. So welcome and thanks so much for coming on. Thank you. Please uh, let us know where you're from. And, um, and I was born in Russia. Wonderful. And I came to Canada when I was eight years old. How come you came to Canada? Um, my parents immigrated here. They decided that uh, life here in Canada will be better for us. So that was the reason. And when did you start dancing before or after you, you came over? No, I started dancing when I came to Canada. So my career started here. And did you start with uh, Latin dance? Yes. Yes. Wonderful. And you were saying earlier you studied uh, ballet as well? Yes, I did uh, three years in um, in my high school. It was uh, called, sorry, it was uh, Pierre Laporte High School. And they had this division where you could um, either do music or ballet or you can do um, different activities. So my parents put me into ballet because they thought it would be a good idea. And my, my question was, how... Do you find that that related to your Latin dancing, taking ballet classes? Do you think there was a relationship there, or did it help? Back then, no, but uh, now that I'm older, um, I think that it did give a lot of good things. It gave uh, good posture, gave me nice feet, um, you know, gave like a general general I would say uh, preparation but because I was already doing ballroom before I knew already about um, a lot of things so posture posture and, so yeah. but I think it's mainly um, just the discipline because ballet is so disciplined I think that's what helped yeah interesting because it's it's used in so many different ways I mean they get like football players to do ballet and and all that like it, it, it can be a strong base for a lot of different physical forms um, all right, so then you started a studio. At what point in your career did you decide um, to start a, a studio? Um, well, basically, we always wanted to teach, um, and not everyone has the right to teach um, as an amateur. And back then, we were amateur dancers. We weren't professional. And as an amateur, you're not allowed to um, teach unless you are in the top six couples in Canada. Oh so um, so is there an organization that keeps track of that? And, yes. and how do you get in trouble if they catch you? Um, well, basically, they, they call you and say, you, you know, you guys can teach or, you know, you can get... Um, you, they can just basically tell you you can't compete anymore. So you have to really follow the rules. Um, now it's actually the top six couples. But back in the days, it was only the top three couples that could teach if you were an amateur. Um, and uh, when we came in third at the Canadian Championships, that's when we had the right to teach. So that's when we started. And what? where's the division between amateur and professional? Basically, if you're a professional, you can teach. It's your work. Right. But if you're an amateur, it's, um, you know, you're doing it for yourself. 
but if you want to teach, you need to be in the top three. You really need to get okay, ranked and, high. And then you reach professional status, and you you never go back, kind of thing. You don't have to win another competition to to maintain your professional status. You can. You don't need to win a certain competition to go into professional. You is just uh, basically you call the association and you tell them that you want to be a professional and that you want to teach, and this is, is this is your official work. So you don't actually need to get a title to go into professional. Professional just means that this is my way of earning money. Mm-hmm. But if you want to teach as an amateur, then you need to be in the top. Okay. So, so I'm curious because the top three couples, like three is not a lot of people. Yeah. So that kind of means that not a lot of people can learn ballroom or, or at that time if there's only three couples across Canada teaching it. No, but that's only amateur couples. Yeah. There's a lot of professionals that teach. Oh, okay, okay. And this also protects the professionals because that's their, you know, that's their, their bread and butter. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and what kind of, um, what, what, what are going to be the criteria that makes the organization accept to turn you into professional? Do you need to prove yourselves... No, no. You, it's it's really. Uh, I mean, it sounds like a, a big procedure, but you just call in and you tell them that you're turning professional, and you just uh, register as a professional in the association, and that's all. <laughs> yeah, I like that. I feel like <laughs> the line is so fuzzy sometimes. You'd be like, "Well, I got you know, I got ten dollars for doing that project. So does that make me a professional now?" <laughs> but of course, it, you know, you you would you will have to do uh, certain exams if you want to be a professional judge, or if you want to get um, you know students, they will expect for you to have a certain diploma. So there are exams. Mm-hmm. that you need to pass so when it comes to your training um have you been dancing with your partner like throughout this whole time he's been your kind of partner you yes. guys have been together so in terms of like getting to that level where you win these competitions and you said you were like the, the one of the three top couples you know in canada yeah how much work how much training how many years did it take to like go through that and get to that top place Well, before Maxime, I had other partners, which um, also gave me a lot of experience. And he, he comes from Russia, so he had other partners before me. And at that point in time where we started dancing together, we already had a pretty high level. So I guess that that's when it started. We started training together. It was uh, five to six times a week, uh, you know, a few hours per day. And we had uh, coaching with our teachers and, uh, you know, self-practice. So it well we started in 2005 together and we're still competing so every year we would just progress and you know that's when the results came in 2007 and that's when we came in the top three so i guess it took a good two years to you know oh, get not, that position that's not too bad two years um so i want to kind of go back a little bit into the actual the form so yeah in the description you have ballroom dance and you've latin how are they different how do you distinguish them and does does latin kind of fall underneath ballroom as well how yes. does that work okay well the real name is you, there's two styles in ballroom ballroom is the general um style you have international latin dancing and then you have international uh standard or here they call it also modern Um, basically, the Latin includes the five um, Latin dances, which are cha-cha-cha, rumba, samba, pasodoble, and jive. That's the international Latin. Um, there's also um, American Latin, which is a 
it, you know, it, it's also ballroom, but it's another style, and we don't specialize in that one. And there's the international standard dances, which are the waltz, the tango, the foxtrot, Viennese waltz, and quick step. So those are the dances that we teach, but we don't compete. So as professionals, we do the Latin style, but we teach the the standards as well for people that want to learn a waltz for a wedding, or you know, that type of thing. Are the different are the different types like you were saying the cha 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 the yeah. pasta doble are they all like are they all pretty distinct like pretty different I don't yes. know a lot so then that's pretty rigorous training then because you got to be really good at like all like five four five six of these different yeah, it's types. five dances and each dance is different has a different character so um, you know they complement each other like for example cha-cha-cha and rumba are both Cuban dances so if you know cha-cha-cha rumba is pretty easy um, then you have the samba which is a Brazilian dance but in Brazil they dance it differently they, they do the authentic Brazilian samba we do Uh, the competitive one and Pasta Doble is uh, actually it, it sounds Spanish but it was founded in France so that's a completely different uh, style I would say from the first three dances and then the jive is an American dance um, it's like a mix of rock and roll jitterbug uh, swing boogie woogie it's a combination of different dances <laughs> I want to do the boogie woogie it sounds fun <laughs> So another like little like question to get into yeah. the nitty gritty. So, what what is the, um, the 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 traditional and the folk dances like versus the um, the ballroom, the stylized? How does that how does it differentiate, and how did it evolve from the traditional into okay. you know the ballroom? Um, well, uh, I'm gonna maybe refer a bit to salsa you know salsa is a uh, very popular and um, salsa y you have the authentic salsa that you know people used to dance in clubs and it just you know used to be a dance that you would do in clubs it was like an underground dance and now people brought it you know into a competitive style well it's the same thing approximately with the latin dances cha-cha-cha and rumba are cuban dances that people you know just dance for fun it's their like traditional dances and what um what ballroom did is basically uh, it, tur it turned the dances into more technical dances there's certain um, rules into how you dance there's there's much more technique there's actually um, five books and each book has the technical um, descriptions of each dance and how to do all the basic figures mm -hmm. there's precise directions alignments uh, counts so it's very precise mm. yeah So it's very different. <laughs> And um, how much does creativity uh, come into play when you're perform like when you're competing? I guess um, it plays a big role. Uh, of course, if you're in the beginner levels, uh, there's not a lot of creativity. Uh, it's really mainly just you know the technical aspect. You have to get uh, all the basics down. But once you're in um, the open level which is the, the top level, um, there's a lot of creativity, especially in the dance routines. You have five dances. You can be very creative with uh, how you choreograph your routines. And uh, normally um, you have a trainer who helps you do that. But, uh, you know, if you get inspired and you want to have a certain move in your routine, then, you know, you, you can put it in. So it's, it's very creative. And we sometimes we get inspired from different styles. Um, you know, we can have uh, moves in cha-cha-cha that don't look look anything like cha-cha-cha but the way we incorporate it in the routine makes it interesting as an example 
And um, I mean, I guess you, you've been with Maxime since 2005. Yes. I guess you've really created the chemistry and understanding of how each other moves. Yes. How, like, how did that process come about? Like, w was it easy all the time or like, how did that chemistry evolve? Um, well, in the beginning, it was, uh, I, I, I can't say it was difficult, um, but it was very different because he was used to having, you know, his old dance partner and I had my dance partner um, and he had uh, a different style of dancing. He was, um, how could I say, more sharp in his movements and um, he had a more physical aspect in his dancing, uh, very um very physical in his arms and legs and I was more of a smooth dancer so just combining those two styles together was a bit tough so he had to learn how to be a bit more smooth and I had to learn how to be a bit more sharp and I mean when you're together almost 24-7 and you train each day it's easy to you know blend the two styles after a while so I would say you know it took a couple of months and we got used to those styles and he took a bit from me and i took a bit from him and those two styles created something even better i think does that success make you think of changing partners again or like i mean i i think you're okay I, un I understand that you kind of stay with the same dance yeah. partner and you you build and you grow in that sense but yeah. is there is there any any sort of interest in dancing with other people to see what they bring to your style um i know i wouldn't say so because in ballroom it's you know if you found the one you found the one and you know we just work together um perfectly you know it took me many many years to get to find uh, a good partner and you know the height is perfect um you know we have the same goals now or Not, now that our style is also similar it's uh, easy for us to dance and understand each other um, but obviously I would say you know we look at other dancers to get inspired and mm. that's what can bring you know different aspect to our dancing and you know our trainers inspire us so I, I would say that's what you know keeps us moving forward but no definitely we're not looking for different uh, dance partners you know we're good together <laughs> it sounds it sounds like uh, the dating world I mean after going through so many partners and you find the right one was yes. what's the trouble of going through it all again when you found someone that you can yeah exactly connect with yeah how yeah. does how does teaching inform your performance um teaching helps a lot because um when especially you know when you have a lot of children and we have a lot of children in our school we do a lot of technique a lot of basics there's a lot of repetition so it really helps us and also you know evolving our technique because uh, you always need to repeat the basics and just because we repeat them so much i think you know we also improve yeah definitely Um, I think we should take a look at, like, talk a little bit about Quartier Latin yeah. and, and the school and, and what you bring into the community. So, like you were mentioning, you teach a lot of children. Yes. Like, how young are the, the youngest ones? Um, well, we accept them starting from the age of four and a half, five. So we take them pretty uh, young. But I know other styles like ballet, they, they take them even earlier. But ballroom is very difficult it's there's a lot of coordination between legs and arms and there's a lot of hip movements as well obviously we don't teach that you know right off the bat but it's a very difficult style for small children um and our youngest competitor was five so What? really yeah 
So she started when she was like four and a half, and within wow. you know a few months she was uh, she was very talented, and we found her a dance partner, and she was oh, competing. Wow. That's yep. so cool. And so um, you have different divisions, and you have childrens, yep. you have like probably a bit older, like teenage, adolescents, adults. Yeah. And um, how many classes, like on average, do you run there a week? Like including groups and privates and all of that stuff. Um, a lot. We have. Uh, we <laughs> it have. Must be. We have. Uh, you know two different groups for beginners for really small children and for you know older ones we have an intermediate group for kids that have been dancing for at least a year you know two years and then we have our advanced class that is for really um like serious competitive um couples so we have at least uh, 10 groups just for kids and then we also have a few groups for adults not as much as kids because um, they come you know just for pleasure so we have uh, three to four groups for adults and uh, private lessons vary. I mean, um, you know, we, we do a lot of private lessons each day. We're f- at the school from four to nine. So, you know, and that's a mix of privates and um, group lessons. So we're, we're very busy. And especially during competition season, it gets very hectic. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're at the studio almost all day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so um, what do people usually come there for privates for? What are the main motivations? Well, um most of the students that are competitors, they cu- they have their you know weekly um, schedule. It's stable. So let's say they're they're competing, um, they'll have at least a minimum of one or two privates per week. So each week we we will train that couple and you know prepare them for the competition because competitions are all year round. Mm. So we have at least uh, eleven qu- couples right now that are competing. So you know the that's already uh, m- most. Uh, most of the privates, I would say it's 80% of the private lessons. And then we have, um, we have adults that come in to, just for fun to train, you know, some wedding choreographies. So, but I would say 80% of privates are mainly for competitors and the other 20% is for people that, you know, just want to learn. Mm. Yeah. How, how different is it to teach somebody who's, who's preparing for their wedding, who's just like this, this one-off that they want to present uh, versus, versus teaching a couple that's kind of consistently coming in to, to expand their knowledge? Well, um, competitive training sometimes is very intense, so I would say it takes much more energy out of you. Um, you know, wedding, uh, wedding dance lessons are, are very you know, easy, fun, you know, I mean, we don't want to scare the couple, you know, they're, you know, this is a wedding dance, you know, they have to enjoy it. So we try to make it as easy, fun, quick as possible. And um, I would say it's, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty relaxed, you know, unless the couple wants some difficult elements in their choreography, but uh, I would say it's much more easy and uh, fun and relaxing than the competitive private lessons. Yes. Do you ever attend to see how they did at the wedding? No, but uh, we do request them to send us videos, and some of them do, some of them don't, uh, you know, for different reasons. But uh, we, we've seen a few videos, and, uh, you know, they do pretty good. Uh, we even have a few uh, videos on our website, uh, and um, they, they were very proud of their dance, and, you know, they just decided to send their video in, so we posted it on our website. And uh, when people, you know, want to get information they would you know they'll see the video and they'll see that you know wow this is a real couple that didn't know how to dance and look you know what they've done in 10 lessons so i think that's pretty cool 
Absolutely. Speaking of which, you have a great website. It's called EcoleCartierLatin.com. Uh, yes. And you've got all your information about your classes on there. And there's a great little video about uh, with, with you and, and Maxim. And it kind of uh, explains your story and yeah. where you came from and, uh, and how you work together. And some beautiful uh, video of the two of you dancing together. It's, it's surprises me because it is a very structured dance, but you both so fluid and free and there's a lot of play yes in there as well it's really uh really nice to see i would encourage you to go uh, if you're <laughs> if you're interested in latin dance or ballroom dance and uh, you're enjoying this interview definitely go check out com and and see this video it's really nice where is your school located exactly it's uh, located on de carry and almost corner de carry and jean talon hmm. it's uh it's it's pretty um it's a pretty big school. You can't miss it from the highway. You know, there's big letters that say Col de Danse. So come check it out. So what is dance sport? Dance sport um, is just another name for ballroom dancing. Okay. You know, it's, bo- it's ballroom, but we call it dance sport. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you have a lot of professional dancers who come from different um, different styles, like ballet dancers or modern dancers? Do they come take lessons? Uh? Yes, actually we do. We have uh, figure skating um, couples that come in or just individual uh, girls you know, or boys that come in to take private lessons. We have uh, people that have done ballet, contemporary, salsa. We, you know, we do get different styles. And then sometimes, you know, they eventually fall, fall in love with uh, ballroom Latin and then they just stay with us. Mm. Yeah. Cool. I'd love to learn to ballroom. Absolutely. Yeah, I have one problem though is I like to lead a lot. So when I have to like mm. dance with a partner, it's like, oh, let go of control, Jen, let go of control. <laughs> and it's like, oh, okay. <laughs> Do you feel like uh, with So You Think You Can Dance and So You Think You Can Dance Canada coming into play that, that there's been more interest in ballroom or Latin? Um, I, I think so. I think so. Yes, um, there's definitely a lot of exposure on TV right now, much more than you know we used to have. Um, and people get inspired and they want to learn to dance. Um, yeah, I think I think we do um, we do see a difference, you know, in uh, in the business and how it all goes. But um, I actually wanted to go, but then you know we really thought about it and. We decided to audition. To- yeah, to audition, and because uh, actually many of the ballroom dancers that were on um, on the show, they're you know they're people that I know from the dance world, and you know that I compete against. So uh, definitely, I wanted to go check it out. But then you know we thought you know what if I make it to you know the finals, and then I have to leave the studio for three months, you know approximately. So that would have been uh, too difficult for Maxime to handle on his uh, own. So I decided not to do it. But it would have been nice. It's just, you know, for the sake of the studio and because we are very busy, um, we, we decided not to go with it. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. Give really, somebody else a chance to win. Exactly. <laughs> I really appreciate this uh, this little mission statement you have. If you don't mind me reading, Carcier Latin Dance School was founded on the basis that everyone can learn to dance and benefit greatly from the physical, mental, emotional and social enhancements of the activity. Um, and I think that's totally true. Yeah everyone should be dancing and it does make you feel better it gets you in your body you sweat it out you have fun when you dance with other people so yeah lots of fun we wish you lots and lots and lots of luck with uh, the school and everything thank you thank you for having me it yeah. was really cool oh, thank you for coming and, and teaching us so much <laughs> uh, so that was uh, Alina Litvak <laughs> 
and uh, she's in to talk about uh, being a professional Latin dancer and about her school, Quartier Latin, uh, here in Montreal. Uh, like I said before, EcoleQuartierLatin.com is the website. You can uh, sign up for some classes. You can just check them out. It's, uh, it's a beautiful um, set of dances that you do and that you teach. And we were really happy to have you on. And, uh, yeah, we're going to go to a little break. So stay tuned. We'll see you on the other side. Well, that was pretty epic. Um, you are listening to CKUT 90.3 FM, and uh, it's currently 2.33, so it's Movement Museum time. Uh, I'm Alison Burns. I'm here with Jen Doan and J.D. Papillon, as usual. And uh, we just said goodbye to our guest. If you if you missed the first half hour, we were talking to Alina Litvak. And uh, as always, you can go back and listen to the episode on movementmuseum.com or our iTunes download. Um, you can follow us on Twitter. You can like us on Facebook. You can talk to us at movement at ckut.ca. And uh, what our interview was about was about uh, her being a professional Latin dancer and her studio here in Montreal, Carti Latin, uh, where she teaches ballroom and Latin with her partner, Maxim. So that was our first half hour. In the second half hour, we have uh, another dance news session because there is a lot going on. Once you open your ears and start to realize that there is just always movement happening in the industry, in the community, and we are going to talk about some news and as I said earlier we kind of gets a little bit into dance history as well and of course a little dance calendar so uh, it's going to be a full one uh, I'm going to let Jen lead the way I think dance news is a good idea I'm, I I would think that a lot of dancers listen to our show and hopefully non-dancers as well but uh, being dancer if you're busy and you're full of rehearsals and projects and training you have no idea what's going out around you sometimes so it's a good kind of way to you know see what's happening outside of the city outside of your own rehearsal studio and um, yeah what's really happening with dance in the country in the world so I found something really interesting um, science and dance together there was a competition called dance actually um, I guess you can call it competition no more like a uh, What's the right word? A contest? a contest. Yes, not a competition. A contest called Dance Your PhD. And uh, kind of a cool idea. Um, the winner of the Dance Your PhD this year was a Canadian scientist. She's actually a Queen's University biologist. Her name's Emily Emma Ware. And she was one of the four winners of Dance Your PhD, um, which is basically turning her doctoral thesis into a dance video. So her thesis was entitled um, A Study of Social Interactivity Using Pigeon Courtship. Basically what she did was um, take the data from her research of pigeons and um, how they made it and the response of the female in relation to the male and basically created and worked with dancers to create a, like a nice black and white video that showed how female pigeons um, affected how males responded to them. So if you guys get a chance, you can check out the video online. Um, and, uh, what's brilliant about it is the way you just described it there is it's fairly dry. Yeah. You know, it's pigeons yeah. interacting. Why do I care? 
but that's the whole idea is he turned into this dance video and suddenly I get it and it's interesting. Yeah, and that's one of the things she mentions. Um, so basically the contest was judged by both professional dancers and scientists so that they were, you know, kind of equally getting both both sides of the creatives and the scientists. Um, but where actually Emma Ware, she was always very passionate about dance. So I think this worked for her. She actually started a dance club at the university for her at Queens. Um, so this seems like it was like a perfect match. And she really talks about making scientific knowledge and understanding, um, I guess, accessible for people to you know watch and to understand because you know reading big science papers and science magazines they're not always that interesting so it was kind of cool that she could take the research and create a dance video and you know the dance video had like text kind of explaining what was happening and there was like a male dancer and a a female dancer wearing like a little you know pigeon peak and then she would kind of use the choreography as a way to display you know the information that she had found through her research and using time delay which of course in dance is huge you know like the time and space and all that stuff so it was super interesting did you guys get to watch the video yeah it was brilliant and i I just love this idea of kind of exercising different parts of people's brains like taking these scientists that are very um logical and and exercising the creativity like i think there's and and vice versa taking these creative audience members and exercising that logic and just kind of um and it both enhance the other I believe. And it actually made for a pretty interesting video to watch on its own too, without even considering the context of how it was created. It is a nice choreography to watch. The dancers are interesting. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting to see how a process which we might not have thought of beforehand, just like how a scientific phenomenon could be expressed in dance, and to see it giving producing this, this creative work uh, that that does stand on its own. That's right. Yeah, if we if we stripped the the context and the text from the video, it would still there would still be something there. I like that it makes dance more practical for other things besides just dance for dance sake or dance for entertainment. Right. And um, the the man who actually started the um, the contest, his name is John Bohannon. Um, he's a science journalist and um, a Harvard researcher, and he, he talks about um, it's a great way. He started it because it was a great way f- to get PhD students to kind of ease the pressure of fulfilling their you know their their degree or their doctorates and allowing them to find a way to make it um, possible for them to communicate the work to the public. Which I like I was saying earlier, it seems like an important thing because you do so much of this research and it's probably very tedious and just you know time consuming and a lot of information and, and stats and all that and at the end of the day if you get to actually do something fun like this i think it's cool and um having you know people uh, being able to watch it on vimeo like lots and lots of people being able to access it i think that's pretty that's pretty freaking cool that's actually really interesting because i was gonna seek into talking about john bohannon um have you ever seen the this ted talk video mm. by john bohannon called uh, dance versus PowerPoint, a modest proposal. Oh, no. Let's talk about that. Which it's it's very interesting because um, when we when I watched the video for Dance Your PhD, it automatically made me think of this video I'd seen, but I didn't know who uh, had created it. And it was this TED Talk. So I looked it up and turns out it's John Bohannon who came up with that. And the video, the TED Talk, is about how uh, he is proposing 
people in the science world, even in the business world, how they should move away from using PowerPoint presentations because of all of the ill effects that it can have on learning uh, or just listening, how it can be some of a sort of uh, numbing at times using a, a presentation, a PowerPoint presentation. And he proposes instead to use dancers to represent uh, what would be the information that would be represented in a PowerPoint presentation. And he is doing one live on stage, uh, which is about science in the TED Talk. And it's really interesting to look it up. So it's just John Bohannon, Dance versus PowerPoint, a modest proposal. And I guess that might be where the idea for Dance Your PhD originated from the way he was unsatisfied with PowerPoint presentations mm -hmm. and it led to using dance. And one of the interesting things he mentions in the TED Talk is that why spend so much money creating PowerPoint presentations which often just go through the audience like uh, hot knife through butter? Mm -hmm. And why not just give that money to artists who can actually really grab the attention of an audience? And the, the whole thing, when it comes to Even arts funding, like his take on arts funding, is kind of mentioned in the video. It's really interesting. What's to, his take? I'd like to hear that. Well, basically the fact that uh, the arts can have an effect even on business, that it's not just art for art's sake, and that uh, business businesses should have this instinct to go towards encouraging performers and artists by supporting them financially, but in a way that it can also create a product for them so that it goes both ways and it's interesting because you know you see the uh, you see a lot of us focusing just on the government to give money to the arts mm. without thinking about the businesses but he is basically saying no businesses should participate in that because art is not just something that you know the public just enjoys quickly and disposes of afterwards it is something that could help help the business world too Mm -hmm. So, and especially with the way funding is going these days, mm. I think that his take is very interesting for that I reason. I like that. Um, it's a good segue into our next little um, segment that I wanted to bring up and talk about. Just before you do, everybody go check out Dance Your PhD and the TED Talk about uh, replacing PowerPoint with, uh, with dance performances. I'm yeah. really excited to do further research into this. Anyway. Carry on. So, just kind of moving into talking about funding and and um, and uh, business, you know, partnerships with dance. So, for those who may or may not know about the Canadian Conference for the Arts, they've actually been an organization founded in 1945. That's a long time. Well, anyways, here's a reason to not vote for Harper if you are thinking about it or have. Basically, Harper decided that he was going to end the 47-year-old tradition of federal support from the, uh, yeah, from the organization. He was just going to cut it out. Um, but what happened was the Canadian Conference for the Arts, and I'll call that the CCA, they basically decided that they were going to keep operating. Um, and they were not going to give up yet. They're going to keep operating. Um, and what they wanted to do was basically turn the organization into a more self-sustaining organization. But with that, they needed a little bit of help, of course. And they had asked the um, Canadian Heritage for about $800,000 to help ease them into this, into this state of self-sustaining. 
Um, but in the end, actually, the Canadian Heritage only ended up giving them $195,000 out of the $800,000 requested because basically Canadian, the Canadian Heritage is also going to be killing the arts, culture, and diversity program, which the CCA was funded under. And the interesting thing about all of this is that that seems to be the direction that I feel like the arts needs to be turning to and looking at is the idea of how can we be self-sustaining? Because like JD was mentioning, and like all of us artists who run around, we know this already, that funding is, you know, just getting, it's dwindling, we're not getting it, and the government keeps cutting more and more. And I mean, this is a 47-year-old, you know, um, 47-year-old organization of, of arts, uh, and, and it's it's getting its funding pulled. So really, who has any idea about where anybody is going to get money from? And I think it's a great idea that we really start thinking about how can we, um, you know, how can we rely less on public funding? How can we partner up with businesses? How can we make our work in a way that serves to the public and allows them to support us? Because really, that's what we're making the art for. We're wanting to make it for the public, you know, for the people, for the audiences. Anyways, that's my take. Any notes? Any any comments on that? Well, I, f- I feel like you lost me with the numbers. If you could have done a dance performance presentation oh. to to really <laughs> express what you were trying to get across, next I think week, I might have radio done. dance. Yeah. Next week, I'm going to do a dance tweet. I'm going to create a little video, and I will uh, I will communicate that to you guys. <laughs> but just to come back to what you were saying, though, I think that um, I do think that the private sector has to or you know we should find a way for it to become self-sustaining the private sector should be uh, implicated in funding for the arts but that that nonetheless shouldn't uh, absolve the government from giving money over because the arts is a cultural resource and that's that's what it is it's a resource and you know it's not only a resource that we use in Canada it's also a resource that we export And I think that the government should be uh, funding the arts, not just as a way of, you know, saying, oh, yeah, we we support the arts. But no, it's something that helps Canada shine worldwide. We do have fantastic choreographers. We have fantastic writers, uh, theater directors, filmmakers. And, you know, it, it is something that helps to put Canada on the map. And that's part of the government's, you know, uh, job to, to make sure that Canada does shine bright. And I... I It's just really frustrating, I guess, to see this. I mean, how much money is going into military funding right now with the Harper government? It's ridiculous. Well, what we want the government to do and what we think that the government should do, which is better for us, is not necessarily always what the government is going to do, which seems to be the case that is unfolding. So, you know, like we we have to look... If you look at the United States of America, they don't have federal government funding for their arts, but there are art, there are dance companies, there are artists who make work and do their thing down there. So, you know, it is possible and um, it's not just Canadian, it's not just it's not just the the provinces in in, in Canada, the Europe has been suffering a lot with cut cuts in the last few years and I feel like Europe has been like largely way more supportive by their people and their governments in the past than in Canada and even they're suffering from that so really priority is just so subjective it's like what we think it should be a priority isn't always going to be what the government is going to make priority because maybe you know at the end of the day it's more what's in their interest it's actually that's making me think of something that um, that was an interesting project for a British British choreographer Um, it's Wayne McGregor 
if I'm not mistaken, who released a dance on film he made uh, on iTunes. And he just made it very widely available. He was selling it for something like $10. And it, it, it's this uh, worldwide platform that made it very quickly and efficient, efficiently available. And it's money that's going pretty much all straight back to his company to fund for next projects. And that's something I find is interesting with, with the web now and with Denton Film being you know, a very active form of... Uh, way of approaching dance it, it's interesting to see how we can use social media how we can use just the internet to really help funding and there's things like kickstarter you know which uh, for people who don't know kickstarter is this platform where people can donate money to help a project get up get up on its feet and it's you know we're, we're finding more and more ways for the public to show with their money and their support Uh, which projects they want to happen. And I think this is where it's at, just a last point for me. And I think, well, this for myself is kind of my one of my main missions to do with my own company is like, how can you use social media and getting, you know, this quick, easy access to a large, large number of people right away? How can you use that to attract people then to buy tickets to come to your show? because really that's where it's at because in the end of the day you can put it out there it could be free you can load it up send it out put it on Vimeo put it on YouTube but you still need to make revenue and that's where it's at is you've got to get people to come to the shows and the music industry some people in the music industry are doing that is they're they're, they're putting themselves on the amazing world wide web and they're drawing and attracting people to come to their shows and that's where you make the money when people pay to come to see your shows so is that possible with dance bum, bum, bum. oh it is Answer i'm going to do week. it <laughs> i'm going to do it everybody anyways i think we're going to wrap that up um we just have some dance calendar things happening should we take the last 10 yeah. minutes of our well, show for that you just mentioned your company oh so maybe we should talk about that right Yeah, I'll give a little shout-out for my little performance on Saturday. So I um, I run a dance company called Woo Me Myth. Actually, to be exact, it's a dance rock opera company. We got a little residency with a, um, with a dance creation studio called Fleur d'Asphalt on Saint-Hubert and um, Saint-Zotique. Really awesome little studio. And um, we've been working on a new piece which is a sci-fi dance rock opera and we're going to be showing a little bit of work in our, our work in progress there for the this work that we're developing and we'll be continuously developing throughout the fall um flow d'asphalt has um every few months a, an event called my loon and so this saturday august the 4th there's going to be two shows one on august at 4 30 one at 8 p.m you can get pre-advanced tickets for eight dollars but that's only if you know the artists who have the pre-tickets or you can buy it at the door for ten dollars Flat Asphalt is a really interesting space. I'm sure a lot of the dancers listening in know about Flat Asphalt. They do give uh, classes. They do organize the performance La Milune. But for people who are not aware, uh, check it out. It's it's really interesting. I know that a lot of great choreographers uh, show their works at performance La Milune. And the classes are really interesting. So if you're an amateur just looking to take classes, or even if you're a professional, look up their website. Yeah, there's, I think, going to be three performances. We're going to show like, probably like a, about 15 minutes. Um, 
And I'm super excited about our piece. It's like, again, going to be a lot of work still to develop it. But um, the main inspiration of where this, this sci-fi dance rock opera came from was um, a prolific writer from the 70s. His name was um, Philip K. Dick. For those who are familiar with him, a lot of his novels and, and, and stories actually got turned into these um, crazy Hollywood movies. Some pretty good, some kind of awful, and then there's the in-betweens. But he's most known for Blade Runner. Um, the book in which he wrote was called um, "Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep?" So he was a big um, he was a big influence on our work, just in terms of you know a lot of the concepts and the philosophies. But the interesting thing was Philip K. Dick was um, he had an, an incredible imagination. He was also schizophrenic, but he also had a very he had like he had a he had this spirit in him. He was a very spiritual person. So in a sense, I don't know that would attract it to me because um, just a lot of sci-fi concepts are very bleak and kind of weary sometimes and um but it's kind of cool lots of interesting and you know pertaining pretty valid to a lot of things that are happening into our, our world right now in terms of technology and and humans and and all of that stuff and lots of other cool cool things that have influenced like the higgs boson if anyone has been following mm. up on news so anyway super cool lots of awesome music and, and the god particle Oh yes, the Today God is particles. Science Day on Movement Apparently. Museum. Eh? Oh yeah, kind of. Yeah, we're more yeah. than just pretty faces. Yeah, I'm just uh, wondering because um, one of the things that did come back often with uh, Philip K. Dick was posthumanism. This sort of uh, idea that humanity would evolve into uh, this almost cyborg state where we are not just completely human; we are also part human, part machine. Is that uh, a theme that comes in your in your piece? Uh, yes, a little bit. There's definitely some of that. It's hard to pinpoint now. That was like the starting point of the work, but now like there's been so many things that have like kind of interlaced itself into the creative process. One of the things that I was really interested about too was just um, um, psychological disorders. It kind of came through that. It was just also something that I felt like was, you know, it was very, it's very pre prevalent now in our in our society and i wanted to use that as a way to examine that and and kind of how did that you know um relate to even some of the sci-fi topics and, and concepts that come up and what's really cool is we're actually taking a free university course on coursera as well it's a science fantasy and science fiction university level course and we're doing that as research for um, our stuff but anyways enough about my show i think we need to plug your show now well give us one more time the date oh, yes. and the time and the location date date time and location so fleur d'asphalt the show is called my loon the august the 4th this saturday 4 30 and 8 o'clock tickets are 10 dollars at the door so i hope to see you guys there great thanks jen jd I am performing tomorrow night for Diversité. It's uh, this show called Apocalyptic. It's 2012. We're <laughs> celebrating uh, in grand fashion. And it will be a really interesting show. I mean, the performance I'm doing is just a very short performance, five to seven minutes, with Glam Gam Productions, which is this fantastic uh, queer burlesque troupe. Uh, a bunch of friends very body positive kind of very body group. positive very sex positive just fantastic people reject shame altogether and they have been asked to be on this card tomorrow night uh, apocalyptic and Sarah Neufeld will actually be the headlining act she's a, a, a musician with uh, Arcade Fire and Bel Orchestra so this should be interesting uh, the show starts at 
anniversary at 6 p.m. It will be at the Keja Quartier in the Old Port. And uh, we're supposed to go on at around 11.30, but uh, the whole card seems really interesting. So if you guys are available tomorrow night, come see us. It's Pride Month in Montreal, so we're Ooh. celebrating. Which uh, leads us to another uh, exciting event, if you can call it that, that we should be plugging as well. Well, yeah, if uh, today was Science Day at Movement Museum, next week uh, will be Queer Day. Uh, we are organizing a special edition of the show where we will have many queer-identified artists come on the show to sort of have this roundtable discussion of what it means to them uh, to be queer artists if they feel that their identity impacts on their creative process and the work they come up with, if there is such a thing as a queer sensibility. So we're going to have some very fantastic guests I'm so excited to have on the show. And yeah. Can you give away any of the names? Since a few people have confirmed, but uh, we never know if they're going to you know, end up coming or not. I'm going to refrain from giving most. Okay. Uh, but there is actually the, the choreographer who is who choreographed our performance for tomorrow night, Gabriel Hélène, is going to be on. And uh, George Tamis also said Woo-hoo. that he would show up. So I'm very excited to have him on the show. He's fantastic to listen to and he's so much fun. Yeah, I'm very much looking forward to next week's show Me as well. too. But uh, we've we've run out of time for today. It's almost 3 o'clock now on CKUT 90.3 FM. You are listening to Movement Museum. Uh, we're going to say goodbye. I'm Alison Burns here with J.D. Papillon and Jen Doan. Uh, check us out on movementmuseum.com. Uh, Download us off of iTunes, follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook, and talk to us at movement at, no, excuse me, movement at ckut.ca. Let us know how we're doing. Uh, come and join us on the show, and uh, we'll be talking at you next week with our queer artist episode. Bye bye. Do we want to tell you? Oh, the Lord, you're my